0: Hi everybody, Eve Harrow, Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network. A hot day just starting here in Israel, June 26, 2023. The seventh day of Tammuz, 5783. Although I have to say that the moon last night looked more like a half moon. It was really weird. I was like, aren't we just a week into the moon? Because it's so strange. When you know the Hebrew dates, then the moon starts having significance, which is something I'd never noticed for a long, long time. Anyway, a uh, little bit of a crazy day for me. I'm leaving tonight for the States. One is off on Barbecue. Uh, wow! On Wednesday in West Hempstead, speaking at the Beth Shalom Synagogue in Lawrence. The following Shabbat, a bunch of meetings and all kinds of interviews, hopefully, and family things in between. Um, kind of keeping an eye on a semi-family crisis here in Israel that might keep me getting from getting on the plane. So, and meaning like kind of like a normal day, but um, I did have a quiet Shabbat after a very busy week uh, where I had a chance to read a really nice book. And it was so nice because uh, Susanna Child, who's on the line and whom I'm about to interview, um, is connected with a whole lot of people that I'm connected with, even though I haven't had the opportunity to meet her. I get a call from Jeremy Gimpel, actually a WhatsApp, who calls anymore, Uh, last week saying, listen, there's a good friend, she put out this great book, and I think you'd be the perfect person to interview her. So A, he was right. B, really hard to say no to Jeremy, and I know that you guys Know because of the station. Um, And he's done some really incredible things, among them, of course, the Arogoat Farm, um, where I was last week because it's one of the projects of One Israel Fund. And we have a new director general here in Israel who's awesome. And uh, like, just let's say she was a commander in the army and she's like probably i don't know 50 kilos ringing wet and you get an idea of what i'm talking about just a ball of energy anyhow so we went around to a bunch of the different things in gush Etzian and the ranches that were that were um involved with just so she could see the things that we're doing and we got to our which of course is always such a magical place and we'll talk about that more during the course of the interview so Susanna, thank you so much for joining me here uh in for israel me.
1: thank you so for so excited to be here
0: and you told me before this is your first podcast,
1: Yes, my first podcast ever, so it's a trial. Oh, we'll see how it goes. I'm
0: I'm sure it'll be fine. One of the advantages <laughs> of podcasts, you don't have to worry if you're like what color your lipstick is showing up on the exactly. screen. definitely an advantage. although I think I told my listeners years ago, I interviewed Rav uh, Natan Lopez Cordoza, and i we were both on the zoom, which is how it goes and and I had just kiddingly said to him that I was, even though it was Zoom and it was audio, I was going to wear lipstick. And he shows up wearing a suit and tie. Oh, and I goodness. said, you know, <laughs> just audio, he said, if you can wear lipstick, I can wear a tie. So he's very, he's very, makes very Makes you cute. feel a certain way when yeah, you I guess so. After those COVID years where we were all in pajamas for like months on end and then said, this is ridiculous. We got to get out of it. Oh my God. I hope that that's over and done and whatever. Anyhow, from Southerner to Settler, your new book, Unexpected Lessons from the Land of Israel. So I thought that, um, I don't know, maybe maybe I just end up meeting a whole lot of people with really interesting stories, but I don't know too many people who just I don't know, just came up in like a traditional kind of a way and ended up here in Israel, and this was their plan the whole time. Um, Definitely not what what you would have seen in your trajectory as a girl growing up in New Orleans, which, by the way, I was in once many, many years ago, um what a really beautiful city. But I, I remember thinking then, and it was really a long time ago, it was over 30 years ago, that it had to be a really hard place to be an Orthodox Jew. There's just so much going on in Mardi Gras and music. It I just seemed like, I don't know. It was uh, but a very cool place. And then, learning with, uh, with Hurricane Katrina, how important a city it was, like maybe one of the most important cities in America from where it's located. So just, uh, so what was that like? And like, what's your background what was it like uh, growing up there?
1: So, you know, I go through all of this in the book, which you read, right? my background, it was like, how was it like growing up there was regular for me because that's where I grew up. So, you know, the the funny part about the book is that i go into the details of my life story to me it never seemed like anything particularly unique or different i just think it's very interesting how like you said people come from all different places and and sort of you know jews from all over the world are brought back to israel have come back to israel you know with all these various backgrounds um growing up in new orleans as an orthodox jew was not easy um it was a place where i never really felt like i fit in but i didn't know why because everybody sort of didn't fit in it's a very colorful <laughs> place yeah it's yes, just, very everybody's so different and and it's very okay to be different there's not a lot of rules about you know it's not like a typical southern city where you know these people are like this and these people are like this and the two don't intermingle and it's just not like that it's very colorful very go with the flow, laissez-faire, laissez-les-bonne rouler, that's that's (laughs) their motto, Um, let the good times roll. Um, So, yeah, uh, I ended up there because my parents moved there after my father went to medical school. Um, My father went to medical school in in New Orleans, in Tulane, um, and they just sort of stayed there. And after that, they began their journey towards orthodox Judaism. Um, and then there I was growing up as an Orthodox Jew in New Orleans, which is really not a place where a lot of Orthodox Jews grow up or not really a place that you would want to be necessarily as an Orthodox mm-hmm. Jew.
0: it was mainly Chabad, right? That was kind of the anchor of the community. And that was the
1: very beginning of Chabad when we were there. It was really just the rabbi and his wife when we right. started our journey towards Judaism and religious Judaism.
0: Right. But you and I had a conversation about DNA and gene pools. Tell a little bit about your your background. I mean, especially your mom's family, but you definitely have an eclectic and much healthier probably mix.
1: <laughs> yeah. So my mom is from the Azores. She actually was born in Angola, Africa, but her parents were both born in the Azores and her grandparents, everybody was from the Azores, which are these islands, Portuguese islands, um, sort of in the Atlantic Ocean, mm-hmm. um, and my my mother grew up in Angola. They moved there, so it was also a Portuguese colony at the time when she when they lived there. Uh, they moved there because my grandfather had a job there, and that's where she grew up. Um, eventually, she made her way to France and then to the United States where she met my father. Now, my father grew up as a Jew. He grew up as a reformed Jew. Um, his father was uh, of Jewish descent, Ashkenazi Jewish. Your
0: mother was not.
1: My oh, I didn't, I didn't say that. My mother was not, not at mm-hmm. all. Although she did have one ancestor that she likes to to mention that was Jewish. His last name was Ben Sabat. So yeah, totally grew up completely Catholic, which uh, she didn't enjoy. <laughs> um, yeah, so when she met my father, she was already looking for something a different sort of spiritual path. And she found that in Judaism. So my father grew up Jewish. His father was of Jewish descent. His mother had converted, um, and you know, a reform conversion. So he grew up as a Jew. Um, and my mother converted and married my father. You know, she converted because not not to marry my father. She mm-hmm. was interested in finding a, a different form of religion. She really didn't like Catholicism, she didn't like the Trinity, she didn't believe in it, she was drawn towards Judaism. So she converted and they, you know, were a reformed Jewish couple when they moved to New Orleans. Um, yeah, so that's the background. Uh, over the years, they, uh, you know, they had my brother and sister and and then they put them in day school somehow. And through their children, they sort of, you know, gradually grew closer to Judaism and began to learn more about it and learn more about uh, first conservative and then orthodox Judaism. And by the time um, my other brother and I were born, uh, you know, that's when we sort of fell in with Chabad, um, you know, during my younger years. And, uh, I had an official Orthodox conversion when I was six years old.
0: Wow. So how did your mom's family feel about that? You know, like if we look at it from our perspective and from where you are today, she did a great thing, but she also, you know, when you leave a core family and some of the values that they've imparted, it's probably not so easy from the other side.
1: Yeah. Strangely enough, they were totally fine from my experience. Obviously, wow. I wasn't there at the beginning, right? Um, but they were extremely accepting, and still are to this day. Like I had my one aunt who lived in Italy, just died, but we used to go there, and she would, <laughs> you know, and we barely she barely, she didn't speak any English. I could only com- communicate with her in French, with which at this point, after learning Hebrew, I have mostly lost. But you know, the warm, still there. You yeah. know, and they and they, they bring out their the fruits and the vegetables and all the paper goods they know. And here's a knife. I just bought this knife, <laughs> you know, do something with it to make it so you can use it. And that oh, I found a kosher symbol, you know, Aww. like it's extremely, extremely accepting. Um, the only like experience I ever had, I remember going to Portugal when I was seven years old and we visited my mother's great uncle who she hadn't seen. He was very old. She hadn't seen, I think, since she moved to America. Mm-hmm. Um, and we Decades went to the And mm-hmm. they made like a big cake for us And my mother was so nervous Because I guess he was maybe a very religious Catholic I'm not sure right. why But she was nervous as to what he was going to say When she told him that we were orthodox Jews And and then she told him And he laughed Really? <laughs> he <just> laughed, yeah He <laughs> was this old man, he just yeah. laughed And then they put away the cake And they brought out bananas for us <laughs> <laughs> It was
0: It was okay. I mean, look, it's no secret that there are many Jews in what were Portuguese colonies, many people who were in Portuguese colonies who identify as Catholic, but definitely have Jewish uh, ancestors because yeah. of the Inquisition.
1: Absolutely.
0: And people ran to the colonies to get away from the mainland where the Inquisition was really at full tilt. Um, yeah. So it's more, I think it's more likely than unlikely that somebody from you know Brazil Portugal these areas will have somebody in the background there yeah um my you know, aunt even like... likes
1: to send me videos my aunt the aunt who lives in Portugal about the names of of uh of portuguese or maybe azores people who are in the azores that are actually jewish names so and apparently any name that has to do with a tree that really? is a jewish name like in different places i think you know people were given names based on certain things if they were jewish. i don't I don't know the details, like not just in Portugal, in other parts of the world. Huh. Um, maybe you know more about it, but I don't know in Portugal, so people who have names associated with trees. Are thought to be of jewish descent so
0: well i know that there are places in greece where people have names that do with passover like okay. chametz and matzah oh, okay. are also jewish yeah yeah so right. that's it must have been kind of maybe like a little code that they had so they could find each other or, yeah. you know marry each other even within you know the appearance of not being jews anymore right. that is so interesting i didn't know that about portugal though very yeah. cool Very, very cool. So you've got, I mean, you've got relatives probably leading very different life than you do. Have you tried to, you know, they have all these genealogy things now. Have you tried, you probably have people popping up in who knows where doing who knows what that are like, you know, third cousins or something. That would be so cool. Your next book. I'm giving (laughs) you an idea for your next book. (laughs) Yes.
1: Exploring the gene pool of Susanna Yes. Um, yeah. So my brother is very into genealogy and he like as a birthday present bought me and my sister each uh, one of those packages. So yeah, it's cool. Like you see 50%, you know, Azores, 25, 24, whatever, small uh, percent Ashkenazi Jewish and then a big mix of all sorts of things. And it also allows you to connect with your relatives. Um, it, it knows this this ancestry or whatever, who your relatives are based on your genes. And so it's funny because some of them are 100 percent Ashkenazi Jewish, you know, right, right. and most of them are not. Most of them are from all over the place. And, mm-hmm. you know, as far as first cousins, first, you know, first-hand relatives go, I have no Jewish relatives at all. Wow. I have my Jewish grandfather. He died. Mm-hmm. Um, but even my cousins, you know, they're not Jewish. Right.
0: Them, right. No. So how does a girl like you end up? living in the Judean Hills in Israel?
1: It's a really good question.
0: We're <laughs> still trying to figure it out. Hashem, that's always the answer,
1: right? It's really the answer. And like that, honestly, you know, I think that's one of the main, you know, my book is called Unexpected Lessons from the Land of Israel. I feel like that was one of the main things I really learned. Not, you know, yes, I think the the culmination of that lesson was being in Israel. It's like, you know, God has a plan. God has a plan. And um, it's kind of unavoidable, you know, and you can, you know, fight against it or, or, you know, worry about it or, but you just have to trust in God that where the path that you're on is the path that he wants for you, the path that he wants for his people. Um, and I mean, I can go into the the details of how I ended up here.
0: Yeah, but we want people a- to read the book. So yeah, <laughs>
1: <Exactly>. <laughs> just go
0: into some brief details.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's just the first like two chapters. But yeah, right. um, it really is is God. He has a plan and uh, he makes things happen the way they're supposed to happen.
0: So you know? I, I, excuse and- me if this is like a strange question, but growing up Orthodox doesn't necessarily mean having a relationship with Hashem. Right. Okay. We both know, and I'm sure people listening know, many people of all religions who are you know, following a certain, um, religion, but, but what happened to God in the whole mix? It's more of kind of a social thing or fitting in, or because you grew up like that. And there's really no connection of feeling like, wow, this is a path in the mind, like what you just so eloquently described to get to that place where you feel that there's a plan. You have to believe that there's a bigger, that there's a creator here who does have a plan. And that I think is the step that a lot of people don't get to. OK, and that's why they're they're fighting things, because they really don't see that. They don't see that our lives are so much bigger than we think they are in so many ways and pulling together threads from so many different generations and and sewing something new at the same time to continue to continue that metaphor. So did you grow up? Did we, did you feel spiritual was more of a, you know, of a framework for home life or or your parents journey trickled into the, you know, their kids, which is. When you accept something new, it tends to be for spiritual reasons, especially in a place like New Orleans, where it wasn't because there were thousands of people and they wanted to join the community.
1: Right.
0: It wasn't easy, I would imagine. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think there's two aspects. Like, you know, I think the first the first thing is nature. I think there are people who are just feel the presence of God and are drawn to that no matter what. And there's yeah. people who, who do who are less so. And, and it's just has to do with nature and, you know. Judaism is different things to different people and that's okay. And I would say, um, of course, obviously my parents were searchers. So it makes sense that I would be one too, but I think I was also very lucky in my life that, you know, even in the book, I don't go into all the details of really how things happened because you can't, yeah. you know, you just, you people the um, but it, it, from a young age, Things happened to me in a way that I was so upset about at the time that seemed like the end of the world. From a young age, I learned this lesson. Awful, this, this is the worst thing that could possibly happen. My life is over. And realizing, you know, only four or five years later that if this thing hadn't happened in this way, I would not have had this amazing opportunity. And that just happened again and again. I felt like God was holding my hand and causing things to happen, which were you know to be quite honest completely out of character for my life and you know didn't make sense and i was very lucky to see you know very from a very young age the ramifications of you know god's plan and how it you know was for the best in my situation and i think that that lesson that i learned as a young kid already as a teenager you know i kind of carried with me into my entire life and i i just every time something happens you know Oh, this can't be good. This is terrible. Whatever I see, I know ultimately that um, it's going to be for the best. Mm-hmm.
0: Like when we have the ret- you know—the retrospect, the hindsight, then then it clicks. Exactly. In the moment, yes. it doesn't. In the- yeah. yeah. Right. Right. But you married somebody who wanted to move to Israel, or that he wanted and he pushed you, or how did that work?
1: So my husband grew up in a very Zionist family, and he had wanted to move to Israel, and he had even moved to Israel. But then he came He came back. He, he was there for a short time and it was really hard for him. He's very close to his family and he mm-hmm. felt very isolated. So he went back to America and he had thought that he might not ever move because of that. But he really had a strong Zionist spirit. And when I met him, you know, I, I knew that I wanted to move to Israel at that point. I had spent some time in Israel. I had spent some time with my sister who had moved to Israel before me. And I knew that I wanted to move and it only took a couple of weeks for me to convince him that that's what was going to happen. he was totally on board. Wow. So he, he knew that he, that's what he really wanted. I think the hard part was doing it without family. Right. Um, right. Yeah. So then it, mm-hmm. was it was our plan from the start. We knew from the moment we got we, from a few weeks after we met from the moment we got engaged, we were going to Israel.
0: Mm Hmm. Uh, But coming here and staying are two different things. So how did you make that work?
1: Um. Honestly, it wasn't hard. Oh, good. (laughs) Well, let's say there are. I guess that's really that's you know not a fair analysis of the situation. To me, all of the the little things that were hard along the way were necessary parts necessary suffering that comes along with achieving something great and i think i i even saw it that way as at the time meaning it wasn't easy i barely had any hebrew when i got here at all i had very little jewish background um it was hard to communicate i came with two small kids i you know found myself suddenly you know having grown up as you know somebody with like a decent amount of intellect Around me, all of a sudden, people were assuming that I was stupid all the time because I couldn't speak or communicate. Um, There were difficulties, um, but they were just small in comparison to the, the great good that I was experiencing being in Israel, really, from the moment we got here.
0: Um, That definitely comes through through the book because you intersperse your chapters of, you know, what's going on with your life and your story with um, kind of just a couple of pages of quotes from one of the rabbis, Cook, or one of these, like, let's zoom out now and get back to the big picture. So this is what's happening on a day-to-day, and we're moving with kids and all this kind of stuff and other things happening, some good, some not so good, dealing with it. And then there's this boom, but just remember— And that really resonated with me because there are most definitely times um, like last week, for example, when, you know, four people are killed at homeless place that I go to all the time. That's my daughter lives in that community with her kids and I'm there all the time. And all of a sudden it's like, what? what the hell is going on here? I mean, why is, is this ever going to end this like random violence? And then you just have to catch yourself within all the grief and say, okay, but the bigger picture here is that it's a miracle that we're here and we have our own army and we have a tremendous amount of faith, but it's, it's hard to do that, that, that movement from in to zoom out. And you, you do it very nicely in the book though. Like, you know, it's not just like an autobiography. There's this, and and I could almost sense that that's how you were doing it in your life at the time, that when things got a little low and you really don't go into that, which is totally fine, that you, had, that you had pulled yourself up and said, okay, but here we go. Here's the bigger picture. This is what my husband and I are doing. We're raising children in the land of Israel against all odds. And, yeah. you know, bringing in quotes from Some of the most spiritual and wonderful rabbis that we've ever had who managed to see through all the muck and the blood and the warfare, the hand of God always, always, always guiding us. And I thought that you did that, you know, really, really nicely. And then speaking to you, I see that that's just how you are, (laughs) also grabbing that. Yeah.
1: You know, what a gift it is, you know, despite. Every life has difficulties, whether yeah. you're in Israel, whether you're America, Everywhere. it's not easy to raise kids. It's not, you know, easy to deal with your finances. Everything is difficult. You lose are
0: people huge, unexpectedly. Big, exactly. Yeah. And in yeah. different
1: countries, you're dealing with different, um, you know, horrible things that are happening. But like what a gift it is that we're here in our own land. I mean, what a gift that it's so easy to to close our eyes to and be blind to that we have the Jews have a land, meaning our land that we, you know, we, uh, the birth of our nation was in this land. You know, we can open the, the Bible and read about the places that we see on, as we walk down the street, as we drive the highway, when we see plants and animals and all those things, we can also see them in the Bible and it gives everything a whole, new level of meaning it gives our history a a new level of meaning and you know what a gift it is to be sort of that next page in the torah you know that next chapter and to be a part of that right um i think if you're able to see that then you know yes there are hardships and there is suffering but that that is it's not you know it doesn't it doesn't change the the miraculousness of what we're a part of now
0: well, one of the reasons I became a tour guide is to be able to do exactly that, to take the Tanakh and to stand somewhere and say, this is where it happened, and we know this, and I'll tell you why, because they're standing on a mountain, and we're standing on a mountain, and they're looking down there, and that's where we're looking, and to pull that all together. So you have done this, burning a lot more calories than I do, and <laughs> turn this into, turn your love of the land really into a guide for other people to get to know it um so I mean you're a great writer so tell us a little bit about your blog and now the book and about you know hiking in the holy land.
1: Yeah so in 2018 when I um finished up my I guess 18 years not finished up but like my my 18 years of stay-at-home motherhood my youngest son went off to preschool so I wasn't a full-time stay-at-home mom anymore I was looking for my next uh my next, you know, next
0: stage next of your life. Of my yeah, life, right? Next
1: stage, next thing that I would do. Um, and we were kind of an outdoorsy family. And of course, I really, really loved Israel. Um, and sort of a bunch of things came together at once. And, you know, you can read it in the book also about exactly how it happened. But I decided that I would like to give people the opportunity to hike through Israel. Um, easily because Israel is full of beautiful trails. And there was no English language hiking website dedicated to helping people getting through those hiking trails. Um, So then I embarked on a journey of just going on hikes, taking pictures, writing about it, putting up maps uh, together. My husband and I built a website um, and uh, yeah, the website has hundreds and hundreds of hiking trails all over the country. It gives people the information they need to get out on the trails in Israel. And I saw it as something that could be a major benefit, both for people who had moved to Israel, people who had made Aliyah, like I hadn't, didn't know their way around, didn't know how to, how to see all these amazing things. They might not even know that these places existed, like I hadn't, um, you know, they didn't know that 10 minutes away, there's a forest with a beautiful trail that they could hike through or, a you know, ancient this or that <laughs> olive press or, you know, like they had no idea. And I also thought, saw it as a way to give people from outside of Israel a chance to connect to Israel on a level, on a deeper level. I feel that when we experience a place physically, we connect to it on in a way that we don't just by reading about it or knowing it or seeing pictures in a museum or anything like that. When we have these beautiful moments in nature and and see things before our eyes and touch them and walk on them, and you know that allows us to connect to places in a way that we can't. Um, when we don't have that, so I saw, you know, I felt that that was important for for people to have access to Israel in that way.
0: Is it free?
1: Yeah, the website's absolutely free. dot mm-hmm. Um, tons of free information. My goal is just to get people out there. Right. Um, so obviously, you know. It and, it's, and
0: it's doable. Like Israel has what's called the Israel Trail. It's based yeah. uh, you know, on the Appalachian Trail. But it's very overwhelming. I mean, most of us will never do the entire Israel Trail. You would need like three months or something. But some right. people do parts of it. And a lot has been written about it. But this is, like you said, like 10 minutes from your house. There's, like, you could do in an hour and a half. And what's so yeah. great is, in addition to the nature, which is so varied for such a small country, is that inevitably you come across the signs 100%. of somebody was here before. Whether, as you said, it's an ancient grape or olive press or some mosaic floor that somebody left or even a yeah. wall Underground that can get. Caves. Underground caves, they can get you thinking like, who was here? What were they thinking? What were they doing? Were they fleeing from somewhere? Were they with their families? Were they on their way to pilgrimage? And we'll never know because they didn't, you know, usually graffiti on the walls. But, but
1: we can imagine.
0: We can imagine. And we know that we're stepping really in the footsteps of me- literally of many, many people who came before us. And it, it just really, you know, I say to people, Israel is very small, like side to side, but very, very deep. Um, there's yeah. so many layers of history here. And we're, as you said before, we're the newest layer, you know, what the next generation we're history for, right? So it's so yeah. great what you've done here. And also using, you know, the high tech, like using a website and using all those things that we didn't have before so that people don't get lost. Cause that's always a fear. When you're out in the middle of somewhere, you know, not going to have water, not going to get lost, I'm going to get lost, how am I going to get back? And you've really made, you've lowered the stress level on all of that, which is is also huge.
1: Right, and you've mentioned the Israel Trail, like the next step of what we did, you know, a few years into it, we started, we realized there were a lot of people who didn't actually want to hike alone. (laughs)
0: Like we're like,
1: oh, we're making all these free maps, this is great, go do it. But there's people who didn't want to do that. So we started group hikes also, and one of the group, we have like family nature workshops. We have all these different things that we do. One of the things is the Israel Trail. We started last year and we're up to segment. We're in basically the Carmel now. We've done wow. you know, the upper, I don't know, maybe quarter or third of Israel mm-hmm. group you know, mm-hmm. like twice a month. So that's really, really fun and a really cool way to see Israel. Also,
0: So what's not in the Israel trail, as I know, you know, is the Golan Heights. So they have their own trail up there. And I don't mm-hmm. know if Judean and Samaria, because of all kinds of security issues, has a trail yet. I mean, within certain areas, but definitely not. So that's something that we can hope for is that when things finally quiet down here, um, you'll maybe someone will give you the call. Susanna, <laughs> you're doing such a great job. Come help us do the Yudavish the Shamron would Trail. Awesome. Wouldn't that I be awesome? Them. I
1: heard I heard like, uh, you know, whisperings of a Yudavish Shamron Trail, but I don't know. I don't think there's anything official yet.
0: Uh, yeah, we have a little ways to go, but uh, something to, you know, something to strive for. We always have to have a next goal in mind. Okay, so where can people get the book? So
1: it's on Amazon. Just search for From Southerner to Settler, and it should come up. Mm -hmm. Um, If you live in Israel, uh, go to fromsouthernertosettler.com, and that'll bring you right to the page where you can buy it there. Um, It's available in ebook and in paperback right now. Hopefully audio coming soon. Amazing.
0: Amazing. So, you know, you've contributed to Israel. I mean, I know, you know, you spent the first years as as a stay-at-home mom, which I also did for the most part. I was in and out. Raising my seven kids, and it's a tough call because you always feel like, oh, I should be doing something. But the most important thing that we do is raising our kids, and you can balance that. Then here you are, the next chapter of your life. You've written quite a few chapters, and you really, um, you know, a lot of families are going to enjoy Israel, and individuals enjoy Israel more because of, because of what you're doing. So you've, you've put your own little piece here in the in-gathering of the exiles in a really, really nice way. And you're a great writer, so. Keep on doing that. Thank okay, you so much. okay. Susanna Child, Eve Harrow, Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network. Gotta go. Gotta pack. Got a million and a half other things to do. But thank you so much for joining me here today. Thanks to T- to Tabitha and to Ben, as usual for getting the show out and um, just sending out prayers um, for to the families um, of the loved ones, of the people who. Didn't make it last week and those who um, were injured for a quick recovery. And as always, to our soldiers and to our security forces who make it look easy for us to have this podcast today because both of us are sitting safely in our homes. Um, It comes at a great, great cost and um, tremendous people. You can't even imagine the greatness of the people here making sure that, um, that we stay as safe as possible. And of course, Hashem, with his plan in the background, um, this is very much a team effort. So um, just wanted to throw that out there that we never take anything for granted. Not when things go wrong, then all of a sudden it's in the news. But every single minute of every single day is a blessing to be in this land. And, uh, and as I said, comes with a great deal of effort. So always hard. You can tell that I'm leaving tonight. It's always hard for me to leave. Always, always, always. But, um, you know, going for good reasons, and hopefully we'll come back uh, safely and well. Thank you, Susanna, so much. Thanks to all my listeners, and I hope wherever you are, you are well. And planning a trip to Israel if you're not already here, okay? It should not be if. It should be when. And we've got some really great hiking trails for you to go on while you're here. Eve Harrow, Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network. Take care, everybody, and goodbye. Join the Land of Israel Network Fellowship. Sign up today and join the revolution, inviting the world to learn Torah from Judea with Jeremy Gimpel and Arya
1: Bromelitz.
0: We may come up short on becoming the person we want to be, but that's not the point. Happiness is progress. Wandering aimlessly through a meaningless life is a recipe for suffering what could be worse than walking around the desert for absolutely nothing but as long as we are walking toward the land of israel every step has purpose for more information visit thelandofisrael.com fellowship